Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, leading experts Lawrence Boys and Paula Neri discuss novel agents and targets in multiple myeloma, including targeting RAS and PIK5, as well as mechanisms of resistance to proteasome inhibitors and IMIDs. Hello, I am Larry Boyce from the Winship Cancer Institute at Emory University, and along with my uh, co-chair, Dr. Paolo Neri from the University of Calgary, we are at the um, Myeloma 2022 in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we just finished up with a really exciting uh, session on novel targets in myeloma. You know, Paola, when I love novel target um, sessions because uh, there's a lot of variety since there's so many different types of targets, whether they're uh, precision medicine approaches uh, like venetoclax that, that I talked about, whether they're uh, immunotherapeutic approaches like CAR T cells or, or um, T cell engagers like, like you discussed as well. And we also heard about a, a new target, um, PIK5, and uh, it's moving into to potentially into the clinic in, in the coming year or so. Um, and so I've, I've always I've always loved to hear about that. And of course, we got to hear about some some uh, some older ones too, even proteasome inhibitors and imids, and learning more about potential resistance mechanisms too. So, uh, what even, was your thought? Yeah, even RAS, the the concept of targeting RAS directly, indirectly. In the past, we thought was very difficult. Now we have a way to do that. So I think to your point, technology is allowing us to use different approaches to target things that we know in myeloma biology are very important. Um, I may also uh, comment on the fact that, you know, even studying, using more the immunotherapy, for example, have allowed us to start understanding if we are predictor of response to this therapy that in the past we didn't think were possible. We start learning mechanism of resistance to these approaches as well. So I think um, analyzing the tumor as well, the immune cells have allowed us to understand at different level really uh, what matter for a patient to respond or not to an immunotherapy. Yeah, and I think a great example of that was actually in the second part of your talk when you talked about the T-cell engagers and um, and and what was involved in, in, in where you saw responses and non-responses. Yeah, can you, can you yeah, tell us a little more about that? That was interesting because, I mean, we're always wondering if um, um, we have a way to silly tell up front if the patient we're seeing in clinic will be a good candidate for immunotherapy. And I think the our initial data seems to suggest that, unfortunately, if we have dysfunctional T cells present in the bone marrow in the peripheral blood, these patients have very um, difficult, um, they don't have much ability to respond to T cell engager. In contrast, the, sense, the patient, they have healthy, for example, memory T cells in their peripheral blood. Uh, even if there is an exhaustion component in the bone marrow, this could be replaced by this healthy pool of T cells that by being exposed to cell engager could just come in in the bone marrow and exp you know having an anti-tumor effect something very unique that i think argue about maybe the peripheral blood will be sufficient for this patient to be profiled up front and make the decision based on that yeah and i know that's going to be really important too it's so much uh, i think uh, more convenient for the patients themselves to to have that profiling done that way um and, and so while we're thinking about immunotherapy you also talked about uh, you know with so much excitement now with our second 
second FDA approval for a CAR T cell. Mm -hmm. However, you know, even with this excitement and these 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 great responses that we're seeing, um, you know, there have been some issues with the duration of the response. And so you also talked about one potential way of of armoring a CAR T cell to maybe get over some of those issues. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, this is actually using one of your favorite genes, the one you studied many many years ago, the BCL XL, um, BCL two L one that actually is a pro survival gene, and we identify clearly was much higher in the CAR T from sensitive patients. So we have actually armor CAR T using this um, uh, specific gene, thinking that we could overcome the um, activation-induced cell death, we could increase the persistent, the survival of the CAR T in patient. And actually we have done for now in vitro and in vivo studies showing that indeed these CAR T armored are able to survive longer, to persist longer and have longer also anti-tumor effect. The, the next step will be talking about uh, translating into a clinical setting, thinking that um, with the catch there, and I think you can comment on that too, how safe is to introduce a pro-survival gene in a CARB construct? Uh, do we need to be concerned about you know, uh, safety or inducing other um, issues? What is your thought there, Larry? No, I, I, think it's, I think it's something we will have to consider moving forward. I mean, we know that you know, even BCL2 itself got its name because it was an oncogene, mm -hmm. right, in, in, in follicular lymphoma. So introducing genes like that, there, there are going to be, um, we'll have to just keep a real careful you know, look at will they affect the T cells and in a way, in a way to transform them um, to could potentially be um, harmful to the patient. But I, I, so far, in your data, it does not appear that that's going to be the case, and I think that's uh, that's really important. But but you know you, we will have to monitor that moving forward. And we could also, I mean, right now we can manipulate the product to even eventually add that's another right. gene like CD20 that can be turned off and on that's right. with, for example, rituximab. So I think uh, we are living in a in a time where there are a lot of strategy that we can also use to improve the product, to improve the CAR T, uh, to make T cells more memory-like, like exhausted that we know matter for their the response to patient. Um, so I think in the next few years, we'll be very excited to see this coming up with new discoveries. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, inducible suicide switches for the mm -hmm. cells, all those would be would, would definitely be ways that that, that can be um, tested. So one of the other parts about looking to think about novel therapies, a lot of these we're talking about are, are really down the road for patients, but we still have our backbone therapies, our, our proteasome inhibitors and our, our IMIDs. And, I, and, and we're still learning so much about about them, even though we've been using them now, um, we're getting on to almost 20 years uh, of using these drugs. And, and I think we heard um, several talks, uh, two talks today, really about, mm -hmm. about that, about are there um, potential um, markers of, of resistance um, that could impact um, the responses to these backbone therapies. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Orlowski um, discussed uh, RAS mutations and, and, and how that may actually affect proteasome activity. Uh, and I, I thought that was a really interesting um, possible. We'd all love to target RAS for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and we do now have a drug that targets RAS, but unfortunately, or for better or for worse, 
course, myeloma patients don't seem to have the mutation that that drug targets. Uh, but, I, but I still think it's very important to understand how the genomics that we are learning about influences even our, our backbone therapies. I don't know if you had any thoughts yeah, on that. Yeah, and actually, as a follow-up as well, I was very um, intrigued yesterday, too. We heard about this immune effect of proteasome inhibitor, of the image that we kind of knew. But then we tried to we start learning why in combination API and image perform so well, they induce a lot of uh, response in patients, because again, there is a, an anti-tumor effect, but also an immunomodulation effect that is equally important, especially when we talk about uh, combining them together in patients with myeloma. So I agree with you, we are um, learning a lot by even deeper analyzing this, um, the cause of resistance in our patient, because then uh, we could combine them in a better way and eventually um, overcome many of the resistant mechanisms. And we also heard about a really intriguing possibility um, that, again, I think we're still in, in early days of is, is understanding um, how the genes that are that are involved in the proteasome or in the response to imids are those genes themselves are being regulated. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Martin uh, Cortum talked about that. I don't know if you have any thoughts. Yeah, methylation that. epigenomics. I think is an aspect that we didn't actually explore until really recently, and we're learning that. That um, is extremely important to understand even that component because many genes are on and off uh, regulated by genome epigenomics events. So I think it's another um, I mean, where we talk about what are the best methodology to understand this uh, factor. I think we have to include epigenomics or metilomics as a, another way to to study this aspect. And not just understanding the biology of it, but also you know are these going to be markers that you. Can can use can you use methylated DNA or regions of methylated DNA as markers of sensitivity or resistance mm -hmm. to, to, to these therapies uh, you know one of the other again exciting I think studies was uh, a new drug, um, the PIK5 inhibitor um, that Dr. Keith Stewart um, discussed and discussed moving forward with and this is um, very interesting in that they uh, he actually uh, first demonstrated this as a potential target actually a few years ago and, and now um, has moved this forward where I think we could see clinical trials uh, in the next uh, uh, next couple of years. Yeah, he talked about combination with ibadomide, for example, with selenexor. So these are other anti-myeloma drugs that, of course, we will be interested to see how do they work together and what is the toxicity profile that we see in our patients. So to your point, um, more discovery bring novel combination for our patient as yeah. well. And probably one more thought just um, about, um, again, antigen escape, for example. We, 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 are, we know which are the target expressed by the myeloma cells, but now we're learning that these cells overall have a way to escape that. If we target only one element, um, I show you some cases with the BCMA loss, um, how important is now to have additional target, eventually have dual targeting um, approaches that in the event one of the target gets lost or downregulated, we have still a way to capture and to target the myeloma cells to uh, induce killing. So I think even that aspect needs to be uh, further explored, but there are of no doubt. I think in the next session will be uh, interesting to see the clinical data for these immunotherapeutics. Absolutely. You know, we also, you know, when we think about novel targets, novel targets could be, you know, there's so many potential targets that we, we know about, but we haven't been able to reach yet in 
myeloma. And one of the real uh, potential opportunities there is through the use of these ProTac uh, drugs, which target um, different proteins for degradation, actually working very similar uh, and based on how drugs like Imids. like Imids work, mm -hmm. like uh, like lenalidomide and palmalidomide. And we did have a talk from from Dr. Shaji Kumar uh, on this, showing a really what I think would I would call it more of a proof of principle Imid. Um, I'm sorry, Protac and targeting. Uh, uh, the same molecules that the imids do, um, Icarus and, and Alios, and he really showed some some very exciting data with this. Again, it's it's. It, I don't know that we we are whether this will be a, a drug or not, but the idea that they worked very well and it was much more potent than actually uh, pomalidomide, at least in causing that degradation. So I think it's opens an interesting opportunity. I'd love to see more on that. Yeah. And is are they are they also allowing for the targeting of? Is it just specific to those, or or is it also affecting other molecules. Yeah, so how specific it is that I think it will be key to moving forward eventually for the clinical trial, see the specificity, see um, the, um, also in patient how easy it will be to deliver a product drug that maybe have some issue on, um, um, you know, the transferring in patients. But I think to, to your point, we may in this way target things that will never be possible before. So no doubt um, there would be a potential new approaches. And so then finally, you know, you talked about adding, putting BCL2L1 into your, into the CAR T cells to armor them so that they uh, would be more persistent. Um, I actually talked about the original, which was BCL2 and, mm -hmm. and targeting that in myeloma. And there's been very exciting work actually done by people like Dr. Kumar um, showing that a subset of myelomas that have the T1114 translocation are, um, are very sensitive to this. And, and so we've been trying to understand, can we have better predictors of this? Because even within the T1114, it's only about half of the patients that respond. And so um, we've been working on different ways to do this. And we've been focusing on functional approaches to actually measure this. And I think so far the, the data is, is, is promising on that. Yeah, and I'm actually curious because you comment also about the flow panel. What is the best way to even predict response in patients with 1114? Can you comment a bit more on what what component with marker do you think need to be there to be able to to tell that? Sure, uh, Paola. We this was really based on work that we had published. Um, uh, a little less than a year ago, trying to understand what were the factors that controlled venetoclax uh, sensitivity in myeloma and through several different uh, genomic approaches and, and looking at gene expression and sensitive and, and resistant samples and, 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 and cell lines and, 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 and patient samples, we uh, determined that it was a subset of myelomas, of mostly 1114, but not exclusively, that express um, B cell marker, so a more immature cell than where a myeloma cell is. And, and we know that within the 1114, there's a group that uh, was originally described transcriptionally as the CD2 subtype. And so it kind of fits with that group. Uh, and and the, there are surface markers that are expressed on B cells that are not on normally on plasma cells, like CD20 and CD79A and CD79B and, and, and uh, uh, a few others. Um, 
Uh, and so we actually, in that paper, developed a flow panel that could be used because flow cytometry is used much more uh, commonly in a um, clinical testing lab than some of the functional tests that we've been doing. And it may be a way to translate that study worked really well uh, in that. But we're, and so, so we're still from, working on it. Yeah, from your perspective, in a board, a B cell like phenotype seems mm -hmm. to be still a better predictor of venetoclax sensitivity. Why, when they become more plasma cell like, and mm -hmm. we have initial data on, on that regard too, they probably be a sign of uh, less activity of venetoclax. So something to your point that we need to investigate further because again, not all the 1140 respond to venetoclax. It would be nice to have a, um, a, a test that we can easily use and predict the response just based maybe a flow panel. Yeah, I, and I think that's uh, that's what we're shooting for. So, so uh, you know, we'll uh, you know maybe at the next meeting. So in Myeloma 2023, we'll we'll present more data on that as well. And so I think uh, that really sums up everything that we uh, we mm -hmm. heard about. Again, it's a really exciting um, uh, morning here of discussion, and um, you know we're looking forward to our our last session now. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemonk and subscribe to VJ Hemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time.